everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Chase. And this is Jay. And uh, I am not on the road, but you may notice the sound quality is a little worse than it normally is. I'm not recording with my usual setup. I've got my laptop out, my hotspot on, a couple of candles burning, and I'm starting to sweat because it's getting hot in here. I have no power. So literally... As soon as I clicked on the button to let Jay into the Zoom meeting, my power went out. It was almost like I clicked the button that turned the power out. <laughs> I was worried that I popped a breaker or something, but actually the, the power is out um, for my whole block. So apologies if this isn't released on time. Apologies if the sound quality is not uh, as, as good as what you're normally used to, um, and we may... Well, not me. We are going to try to go as quickly as we can because I have no no idea how long the battery on my laptop or my hotspot is going to last. So uh, with that being said, we, we are going to try to get through 13 books. Uh, we'll kick it off uh, as I try to find the books here on my iPad. Uh, we'll kick it off with uh, Amazing Spider-Man as we're up to issue number five. It's written by Zeb Wells. John Romita Jr. on pencils, Scott Hanna on inks, Marcio Menez on colors, and Joe Caramagna on letters. What do you think, Jay? Oh, it's good. We kind of get the aftermath of uh, Tombstone kind of tricking uh, uh, Peter to doing his uh, dirty work. So that's kind of it's, – it's fun so far. Um, we see that Tombstone's kind of made peace with uh, with Randy and his family because, like, you know, they're no, – don't spoil it. We know they're going to get married their kids. Um, but at the end of it, we know Spire or Peter has an idea of, you know, kind of how to like even the odds between the two. Uh, he also gets a surprise visit to see how he's doing because he's pretty beat up. And what I like about it, you can see his, his mask on, but you see like it's not it's not like normal. If it doesn't fit, it's tight. You can see there's, there's bruises on his face and he's all welted up. So he stayed on the mask, which is kind of cool that the artist did that. And the ending, uh, he has a uh, dinner with his, uh, you know, with a, with a family member. So it's kind of interesting. I, I don't know where we're going to go next with the storyline with uh, Tombstone, but um, we still don't know anything about why everybody's upset with him. <laughs> yeah, you know what's so interesting about this title is the fact that, you know, we talked about a lot of times about how the Nick Spencer run was really depressing. It didn't really feel like an amazing Spider-Man book. Um, and in this particular issue, or this particular run by Zeb Wells. I mean, we don't know what Peter did yet, but he's on the outs with everybody. Um, and he gets a visit from an old friend that sort of gives us a little bit of insight into, you know, what what's going on, but we're not 100% clear. Um, so, but what I'm getting at is, in a way, the setup is really depressing, right? Pete's got no friends. He's, he's all alone. In a way, it's almost a reset, getting back to what made... Spider-Man great back in the day, you know, uh, yeah, he had Aunt May and, you know, somewhat of a supporting cast at the Daily Bugle and, and high school classmates and everything, but nobody he could confide in, right? And obviously over the years, more and more people have learned he's Spider-Man and they formed kind of the support structure for him. But Zeb Wells, you know, based on whatever this mystery thing is that Peter's done, has taken all that away. So that's what I mean when I say reset. Now, I've talked before about how it, it gets kind of annoying that it's everybody constantly hints at this thing that happened, but nobody ever says what it is. So as readers, we're still left in the dark. It, it kind of is starting to bug me a little bit, but I'm not there yet where I would say, oh, they're dragging it out. Um, but getting back to my original point, 
with the Nick Spencer run feeling so depressing, this somehow doesn't. Um, Zeb does a great job of making it still feel like a Spider-Man book. Uh, even though Pete's in a very bad place, there's still kind of a joy. It's still fun to read, you know, as opposed to um, reading the the uh, Nick Spencer run that sometimes felt like you were doing your homework, <laughs> you know. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm not a fan of John Romita Jr.'s art. Um, like Jay said, obviously the aftermath of the fight. I'm, I'm glad they show it, that Pete's face is all misshapen, but man, he looks he looks like the elephant man. He's so much. <laughs> it's pretty um, rough. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know. I just, I don't think John Romita Jr. I, I just, I don't care for his style. You know, his, I like his old style way better when he first broke into comics. So anyway, uh, let me move on to the first book I'm going to talk about. It's Captain America Sentinel of Liberty from writers Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. I'm becoming big fans of these guys, man. They are doing a, a, an absolutely bang up job on the, um, Batman Beyond Neo or whatever it is that they're doing over at DC right now, the current Batman Beyond series. It's absolutely fantastic. And I'm loving what they're doing with Steve Rogers here as well. Uh, the art is by Carmen Canero. She does a fantastic job also. Letters by Joe Caramagna. Colors by Nolan Woodard. So we know at the end of last issue, um, Bucky and Cap uh, tried to apprehend this terrorist who attacked like the 4th of July celebration. And it was this young kid who'd been, it seemed like brainwashed, sort of. Um, and he ends up being assassinated by the people that hired him. Uh, but the last thing he tells Cap is regarding his shield. And he says, you know, that symbol that you guard you know, so strongly, it doesn't belong to you. It's, it belongs to them. It's their symbol. And that really sticks with Cap. And him and Bucky are, are separated. Bucky is out on his own um, investigating. He seems to know something about what's going on this shadowy organization that we don't know much about somehow Bucky, you know, maybe from his days as the winter soldier seems to know more about it, but he's not confiding in, in cap Steve Rogers and Steve senses that. Um, but what Steve has done is called up a bunch of his old allies from world war II, um, this radio brigade that he has, and they're all helping him try to get answers to what he's looking for. And um, if there's a bit of a time jump in the middle of the issue, that felt a, it was it was a little clunky. I feel like it could have been handled a little bit better, but it ends up leading to a huge battle where we get more um, clues as to what the secret organization might be. And I really like the feel. It it really reminds me of like uh, Captain America back in like it, late two sixties through the two seventies when Cap was fighting like the Secret Empire and they were these really powerful, you know, scientists and and titans of industry and whatnot and they were the real power behind governments and you know that that's sort of an old tropey idea for a story but it still works you know there's still people that believe a lot of that stuff today and there is some level of truth to it you know how much giant corporations and and guys that run those corporations can affect policy and government change and, and that sort of thing so uh i'm really enjoying the feel of it and uh, the again the carmen canero art it is so good I cannot stress how amazing her art is like great splash pages, great panel layouts. Um, when we do see the members of this shadowy organization, they're, they're always backlit. So we don't get a clear look at them, uh, but their silhouettes are very interesting. So, man, if you're a fan of Captain America, um, you really, you really need to be reading this. And I'm, you know, I'm reading the symbol 
of liberty um, that which is our symbol of freedom, I think it's called um, the Falcon one. So this is Captain America's Sentinel of Liberty that stars Steve Rogers. And then we have the, uh, the other Captain America book that stars uh, the Falcon, which is Captain America's symbol of truth. They're both good, but I just enjoy the Steve Rogers one so much more. And it's, and it's mostly because I just, I like the character of Steve. I've never really cared for Sam Wilson, um, whether he's Falcon or, or anybody else, just never really cared for the character. So um, I'm, I'm preferring this one again, they're both good, but I, I think the Sentinel of Liberty is, is to stand out for me. It's so fantastic. So uh, anyway, on to Jay's next book. Um, sorry, it takes me a little longer to jump around here on the iPad and get to the credits. Um, it's Ghost Rider number four. This is from writer Benjamin Percy. The art is by Corey Smith. Warren Jr. does the inks. Brian Valenza on colors and Travis Lanham on letters. What do you think? It's good. I know that we were talking about it uh, last time. I know you don't like the whole horror vibe that they got going on with the gore and all that, but for me, I think it's kind of cool. I kind of, I kind of like that uh, a little bit, you know, like I'm a horror guy, so I like it. <laughs> so this one was pretty cool. We see how, uh, how Johnny uh, Day comes after he's been the ghostwriter. It's not very, he looks like a hungover drunk. You know, he's got to figure out what's going on. Um, so he's still trying to figure out, you know, who uh, imprisoned him you know, and the ghostwriter. Uh, at the same time, we got some uh, FBI uh, paranormal agents, uh, Talia and Horace, who are trying to, I guess, track him down, trying to uh, figure out the link between Ghost Rider and all these weird things that are going on. We see Talia uh, that she does know uh, uh, like a dark magic, so we get to see that, her do her little thing, which is kind of neat. But the, uh, the, the endings, I like the ending a lot. Like I said, I just like the horror aspect of it all, and just... As a, as a kid, I used to hate the circus, and we get that thrown in here. It's, you know, the evil, creepy circus, so that, I like that, and it's just, I like the run so far. You know, you got Ghost Rider and, and, uh, and you know, going through, uh, trying to figure out what's going on to him and his personality. But at the same time, he's still hunting, you know, these demons or whatnot, all by being chased by the, uh, the feds, I guess. But it's been a fun run. I, I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah, I enjoyed this issue probably the most since the first issue. Um, and maybe it's because I'm seeing some familiar faces. So, you know, as you said, the circus, it's not, it's not a surprise. It's not a spoiler. It's on the cover. Um, and it very, it felt very classically like bronze age to me. You know, that's when I was the biggest ghostwriter fan. Like I would buy it off the stands and for no other reason than like, he just looked cool. He was a flaming skull, you know, on a motorcycle. And that was just cool. And so I remember him fighting the circus of crime back then. And so now we've got this circus of crime, but as Jay said, there's a horror feel to it. So when I think back to the, the 70s, 80s version of early 80s version of Ghost Rider, I mean, it was still, there was still a horror aspect to it. This is, is leaning more into the horror, although this particular issue, it, it didn't feel like, although it felt like horror, it didn't feel like so abstract, um, and so, you know, it felt a little more like classic Marvel horror to me with like Mephisto. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I, as I was reading it, I was aware. I was like, you know, I haven't, they've been leaning really far into the horror and it hasn't resonated with me, but this particular issue for whatever reason really worked. And I think the Corey Smith art really helps with that. Like you mentioned, Johnny on the first page, he wakes up and he talks about, yeah, whenever I wake up from a night of the ghostwriter, it's like, you know, waking up after a bender, 
you can't remember where you are. Everything is all hazy. Um, and the place where he make, wakes up is like filthy and gross and whatever. And it just, yeah, it just really worked for me. So big, big fan. Um, I, I like where Benjamin Percy's going. I feel like he's starting to get a handle on who, who Johnny is. Johnny's always been my favorite ghostwriter as well. Like, the other ones are fine, but um, well, except for Robbie Reyes. And the only, reason <laughs> I, the only reason I don't like Robbie Reyes is you can't be ghostwriter. It's right there in the name, rider. You have to ride something. You know, you ride on a motorcycle, you ride on a horse, you don't ride on a car, you ride in a car. It's not the same. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyway, up next for me, Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor, number two, from writer Torin Gronbeck. The art is by Michael Dowling, colors by Jesus Arbatov, letters by Joe Sabino. I didn't like this one as much as the first issue. Um, Part of that's because of the art. Um, the Michael Dowling art is a little less detailed, uh, still a great storyteller, and uh, he does really well with the action scenes. That being said, um, this is really quite a talking head <laughs> issue, um, a big setup for next issue, big fights next issue. And obviously, we do get some action because we see the war in Asgard, um, but it's a lot of setup with Sif um, narrating and uh, Jane hunting around for where uh, where Thor is and um, kind of retracing his steps. So um, I've never read any Jane Foster Thor. So, you know, it may be that this is capturing the feel of, of her series of, of when she was Thor. Um, but uh, again, I have no, I have no context. So um, just to talk a little bit about what's going on, uh, and I'll only mention things that happened in the first issue. Basically, the elves, I think they're called Dark Elves. Maybe I'm thinking of R.A. Salvatore books, Dungeons and Dragons. But anyway, the, the bad guys um, are attacking Asgard. And obviously, Odin is dead and Thor is missing. And Jane is just sort of living her life being, you know, uh, Valkyrie. And all of a sudden, she's sitting at her kitchen table and Yolner shows up and tempts her to pick it up and become Thor again because Thor is missing. And she, there, she's sort of torn. Like she wants to be Thor again, but she also doesn't want to give into the temptation. And she thinks she's good enough as Valkyrie. Um, but she is going to go searching for Thor. And that's basically what's going on while uh, Sif and uh, Beta Ray Bill and, and the others that are in Os- Asgard are trying to repel the attack. So that's the basic setup. A lot of moving parts. It is interesting to me that Torin Gronbeck, she is Scandinavian uh, by heritage. And uh, so I, I think it's really cool that she's the one that's writing the, the story of these North m- Norse myths. Um, I just think that's kind of cool. So uh, if you're a fan of the uh, Jason Aaron era of Thor or fan of Jane Foster's Thor, probably should check it out. You'll probably dig it. Uh, all right, up next for Jay, moving over to an image title. It's Little Monsters number five. This is from writer Jeff Lemire. We have art by Dustin Wynn, letters by Steve Wands. What do you think? Oh, it's good. I, what I like about the story is like uh, when they start off the issue, they always get like a backstory to one of the, the vampire kids. And this one, we got uh, you. And we found out, like, wow, she's really old. <laughs> you know, she was uh, back in the day. Um, but we do have two factions, I guess, in the uh, vampire uh, 
with the kids, um, we got some that are hunting the humans, the other ones that are trying to like help the humans, more or less. There's no spoiler because that was like last year. We kind of see that happening. Uh, what is interesting about this one is we actually get the year of what's going on. We kind of have a guess of what between what year uh, this is all going on down and what happened to the earth. They also mentioned what happened to the earth. So this is like far, far in the future. What I like about it is like, you know, we have the twins and there's two kids are twins. But from the last issue, uh, we know that one got his head cut off. No, no spoiler there. But uh, apparently, I guess if you do that with a vampire, they ain't coming back. <laughs> and we still don't know what happened to the adults that uh, vampires that may be kids vampires. They said they were going to be gone, but they haven't come back. And it's been a very, very long time since they haven't returned. And in the ending, um, we have uh, these humans that are, are you know, are, are going to fight back. So I guess we're gonna I guess they're setting up for I guess a big brawl I guess eventually between the the uh, between the the vampires and, and the humans, but I, I do like vampire stories. So this one just caught my interest a long time ago when I first saw it. You know, just little kid vampires because they don't you know they're not going to grow up anymore. That's just, they're stuck at that that age. So it's it's neat. I, I like the artwork. It's amazing, and I just like the story. Just black and white. And I, I like that. Yeah, it definitely suits kind of the post apocalyptic feel and sort of the desolate feel of the world that they still live in um it is interesting uh you know i've talked before about how lemire and win often use very young characters in their stories so even though they're vampires you think of vampires as evil or bad um these kids that they, they kind of just do what they want you know based on what kids do and kids don't really have a huge understanding of, of morality or why they're doing what they're doing now there is the the vampire hunger that influences them as well that has to be taken into consideration but it's interesting that some of them want to help the uh the humans uh, whereas some of them just see them as a, a a new food source that they've been living on rats for you know hundreds of years so yeah i'm, I'm surprised how much i like it because it, it's definitely uh it's definitely a horror horror comic so uh, all right. Up next for me, Metal Society, issue number three. This is from writer Zach Kaplan. We have art by Gilherm Balbi. Colors are by Marco Lesko. Letters by Troy Petrie. Um, I can't really overstate how fantastic this book is. Uh, you know, it started off the first issue setting up the whole idea of humans having gone extinct and robots and artificial intelligence becoming the dominant quote-unquote life form on planet earth and then evolving to the point where they have their own society and their own rules and you know their robot version of like marriage and jobs and just like regular society to the point of almost a little bit of arrogance to think that hey we are so advanced we can even bring humans back and so they take some human dna and in the lab they start growing their own humans and then humans are definitely thought of as kind of a secondary class of citizen they do the jobs that the robots don't want to do like clean up trash and what have you so it's definitely you know relevant a little bit of societal commentary from zach kaplan which you know he's been on the show many times we've often talked about how well sci-fi works as a way to examine uh, a society um and so basically this idea that uh, the, the best human fighter and the best one of the best robot fighters are going to are going to brawl they're going to have a fight like an mma style fight that's going to show who is the superior species once and for all um so this issue is all about the, the prep work that the robot and the human are doing uh, in in preparation for the fight 
and kind of the different political aspects of their respective societies, you know, how they, how they see them, how they see themselves. Um, and it's really setting up uh, a, a fantastic fight to come. And it really, uh, well, you know what? My power came back on. I'm going to pause it right here and we'll, uh, we're going to jump back on in a second, everybody. Be right back. For you, it'll be instantaneous, but uh, for us, it'll be a few minutes. All right, we're back. Um, I know that was just a split second for you all, but a few minutes for us, as I said. Um, anyway, back to what I was talking about with Metal Society. Um, again, with the, these relevant ideas and big ideas that Zach Kaplan's using the, the genre of sci-fi to explore, he doesn't lose sight of the fact that it's just an entertaining story. And the buildup for this fight, like the first issue started... Uh, with the fight about to take place. And then the rest of the story has taken place through flashback. Obviously we don't know who wins yet because I would be giving it away, but this particular issue, as I said, with the, the female human fighter and the robot fighter kind of getting ready to fight and training and figuring out what they need to know. It, first of all, it's, it's fascinating to see the parallels um, what's the same and, and what's different in the way that they approach the fight. Uh, but also it's just building up this anticipation. Um, and I've talked before since the second issue. So first issue kind of laid everything out. Second issue gave us really the point of view of the robot. And based on the first issue, you think, okay, I'm human. Um, I would never pick the side of the robot, but Kaplan did a fantastic job in that second issue of giving you the point of view of the robot. And a lot of the problems he deals with are very human like problems. So you do sympathize with them. You know, not enough to where I was ready to switch sides and root for the robot, but it was just a fantastic uh, second issue. And now the third issue, we get both sides preparing for the fight, and it really builds the anticipation. I can't wait for this fight. The art by Gil Hermy, uh Balbi is just fantastic. Beautiful line work, fine where it needs to be, detailed where it needs to be, big boisterous action where it needs to be. And, you know, it's not the easiest thing to give... I don't want to say emotion to robots because they're not really emotional, but he gives some emotional context, I'll say, to the robots, um, you know, without he can't move the facial features around anything like that. So it's a lot to do with body language. He does a fantastic job of that. Also, the color work is done really, really well by uh, Marco Lesko. So, yeah, just all around a really, really great book. So I got to got to give props to my boy, Zach, for a fantastic issue. Uh, all right. Up next from Aftershock, Jay's next book. It's the second issue of Astronaut Down. This is from writer James Patrick. The art is by Rubin. Valentina Brisky does the colors and Carlos M. Mangual on letters. What do you think? It's good. I, I wasn't sure what to expect with the story because I knew there were astronauts, but they're not really astronauts in the way we think of astronauts. They uh Kind of like the quantum leap thing we were talking about is like they go to another reality and they kind of jump into that body that's, you know, their body in another uh, uh, universe. It's good because we see like uh, the main astronaut that made it because, you know, no spoiler with the first issue, you know, they don't make it. Uh, only one made it was Douglas. Um, but in the world that he's in now, they're kind of uh, what he sees, like they're a little bit advanced. They figure things out. They don't have the issue like they do on his planet where um, 
they have uh, like 90% of their, their population, uh, earth is pretty much destroyed because of this, uh, this, uh, I guess, uh, like a virus. I'm not sure what it's, they call it. I forgot the top of my head, but, uh, it's pretty much almost, they're almost decimated and they're trying to find a cure to protect their world. But in this world where he's at, everything's, uh, hunky dory, you know, um, he's happy, uh, but he knows he's still got a mission and they want to make sure he doesn't forget that is he has a mission. So they send someone else to let him know, Hey, don't forget, you still got to do this and this and, you know, and, uh, help out this other place. It's it's fun, exciting. I just want to see where they go with it because it's like, uh, to me, it's like, is it worth going back or not? I mean, is it going to make it in time? Because I mean, nine percent is quite a bit <laughs> of his place being gone, you know. Yeah, but it's what he trained his whole life for. I do. I like the idea of him jumping to a different reality and the fact that you know it gets subverted. Your expectations. You hear astronaut, you think flying off into space, and it turns out it's not that at all. He's going. Um, he's going. He's traveling through space and time, technically. Um, cause they're sending them back to the past, um, as well as, you know, a different, a different reality. And they don't know exactly. And it doesn't go exactly again. This is not a spoilers in the end of the first issue. He goes much further back than they thought he could. And when, and the whole term astronaut down comes from the fact that when the astronaut is down, his consciousness actually lands in another vessel, his, his own self, you know? So yeah, it is like quantum leap, except you're not leaping into a different body of somebody else you're leaping into yourself but a you know a different version of yourself uh, so i guess um in dc comics terms you you know jump into a different version of you in the multiverse in marvel terms you'd be in one of your own variants from a different reality um so yeah this other reality is similar but not quite the same um they are they seem to be more advanced in some ways but the thing that's interesting is is you know we find out he's been sent back to get something and that what he's been sent back to get doesn't seem to be like a very big secret. And one of the questions I have is why doesn't what they send him back to get, why don't they have that? It seems like a basic thing. So why don't they have that in their reality? So that's one of the things I really want to find out. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Another uh, really great aftershock title. Once again, aftershock killing it. Um, Yeah. Just a fantastic job. So I guess I'll go ahead and talk about the other aftershock book this week. It's from writer uh, Ed Brisson, who we're big fans of on the show. His Marvel work, his uh, independent work, he's done some DC work as well. Um, The art is by an artist I'm not familiar with, haven't seen his work before. Um, And I thought the art was a little, I don't want to say simplistic, but um, it's more simple. I'll I'll put it that way. But the artist's name is Gavin Goodry. I think that's how you pronounce it, G-U-I-D-R-Y. It's got colors by Chris O'Halloran and Has- Hassan Atzman Elhow does the letters. So this whole idea of there's something wrong with Patrick Todd, from what we know in the solicits, this guy's got mental powers and um, he's using them to get by. It's not so different from, uh, at least in the initial setup, there are some similarities with uh, the most recent Valiant title, Harbinger from 2012. Um, where Pete Stanchek is using his mental powers to try to stay under the radar and, you know, he gets other people to do his, his dirty work for him. So it's not the most original idea, but what Brisson does really, really well is he sets up some stakes for Patrick Todd. He gives him a very compelling reason. You understand why Patrick's doing what he's doing. Um, you could easily see yourself doing something uh, similar in the same way 
situation, if you were in it, that situation. Um, but much like Pete Sanchek had people chasing after him and, you know, realizing that, Hey, there's somebody, there's something else going on here. There's a detective in the story that's starting to put the pieces together. You know, why are all these people robbing banks and doing these terrible things and then having no memory of it. So he's starting to put some pieces together and then Brisson being Brisson has to throw in another, and I won't even hint at what it is, but he has to throw another wrinkle in because it's not just enough for this Patrick Todd teenager to be pursued by, the law, he's got something perhaps much more dangerous hunting him as well. So uh, I'm all in after only one issue. Like, I just love it. <laughs> all I could think about after reading the first issue was, well, two things. I really want all the rest of the issues. I want to just be able to, I just wanted to be able to tear through the whole entire story. Um, and immediately following that, I want to sit down with Ed and talk about it because uh, it's a fascinating story. So I know you read it and enjoyed it too, Jay. What'd you think? Oh, it's good. There's so much going on in that story. It's like, you got, uh, like I said, the, the wrinkle, you got uh, the detective that's, you know, like piece it together. You got another uh, uh, a group of people that figured out what he's doing. And then you got that other thing going on too. It's like, okay. And, you know, it's like, you see the artwork, you're like, okay, someone's, you know, kind of figuring out what's going on and just, so much I, I don't want to give away, but it's like, man, this is just, you know, it, it's kind of neat that way. Would you see what's going on in the, in the picture of all these characters where they got on? You're like, man, this is going to be neat. I want to see where it goes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely hooked. So, uh, all right. Up next, we have an image title. It's issue number two of The Closet, written by James Tynan IV. Art is by Gavin Fullerton. Colors by Chris O'Halloran. Letters by Tom Napolitano. What do you think of this one? It's good. It's only like a three or four issue series. So it's kind of like, man, I don't know how they're going to finish it up. But uh, it's interesting because the main character is Tom with his son, Jamie. Uh, Jamie's the one that uh, has the uh, the creature in the closet that's been, you know, harassing him. So the family's moving away because of work or whatnot. But we find on this issue, there's a lot more going on with Tom and his wife. Uh, when they, he meets up with his friend um, to kind of he's driving across country, but it's just him and the son. You're like, well, what's going on? But they explain that in the story, what we you know, the backstory between that family there. And it's like, wow. And it's just like he doesn't seem like a happy guy. And now you kind of, you know, you kind of see why. But you got that going on. But you also got that poor kid that's still um, being uh, harassed by the closet and the future in it because uh He's, he's not that he's he's coming along for the ride, I guess you can say. <laughs> so it's creepy, but it's like, wow, okay. I just that one frame where he's in the bed, it's like that would bug me as a kid too. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I, it's almost two stories here. You have the story of the mystery of the monster in the closet and why it's, you know, harassing this kid. Um, but then the other part is you have the, you know, the story of the dad, you know, and what his, what's his deal, you know, and he go he, he spends quite a bit of time in this issue talking to somebody who kind of tells it like it is. And I kind of enjoy that. It almost felt like a comic version of uh, a, that Reddit, that subreddit, am I the asshole? You know, this guy constantly <laughs> does things that are just, but he, you know, he makes all kinds of excuses and it'd be like, dude, you're the asshole. Like, do you not realize And his friends trying to tell him, you know, guy, you have this great life and all you do is like bitch and moan. Um, you know, be thankful for what you have. So I don't know, it, it, this could end up being an uplifting story in a way um, based on Tynan's track record. I don't expect that to happen, but there, you know, there's a version of the story where the dad saves the day and, you know, almost loses his son and, and maybe even his wife and, you know, wakes up and, and realizes that, Hey, I, I do have it pretty good. Again, it's Tynan. So I don't expect it to go that way, but 
I don't know. Maybe I'll stop reading after the third issue so I can have it end that way in my mind. We'll see. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and the art by Gavin Goodry is really creepy and suits the, the tone of the story really, really well. So, uh, all right, let me hop back over to Marvel. Uh, next, the latest issue of Avengers forever written by Jason Aaron. This is issue number seven. We have fantastic art by Aaron Cutter. Cam Smith does the colors guru EFX. Uh, I'm sorry, Cam Smith on inks guru EFX on colors and then Corey Petit on letters. Um, so Jay and I were talking about this before we started, uh, and a lot of these Avengers Forever books, and I've, I've talked about this previously when we've covered them, because we had a Black Panther issue um, that felt completely standalone from what's come before, um, and then we had a Doctor Doom issue with various Doctor Dooms that felt completely standalone, and now this is a Steve Rogers issue. Um, again, no no spoilers, because it's on the front cover, but we're seeing... a different variants and <laughs> keep going back to this idea. I think I say it every time, you know, Marvel zombies making fun of DC for needing a multiverse to tell all these stories. And now Marvel's doing the same thing. Um, but anyway, uh, we see all these different versions of Steve Rogers on, uh, on the cover. And we saw a little hint last time, uh, end of last issue that there was going to be a Steve Rogers that was captured. And that's exactly what happens. And um, the story is, it really kind of distills down, who Steve Rogers is, but it does that in the background in the, in the kind of the, the forefront of the story. It's really about these Avengers, this team they're trying to put together to sort of fight what's coming to fight these multiversal masters of evil. So I thought it was really, really well done. Um, and I, I'm glad, even though typically when I open up my file for my press previews, I just start at the top alphabetically. because that's how windows arranges their files. Uh, and I just go down the list for some reason I skipped this and I read um, the captain the other captain America book first. And I'm glad I did. Cause it really gave me a sense of who Steve is in the costume and the regular Marvel uh, universe reminded me of who he is. And then I read this one and it even reinforced it more. So I really enjoyed this. Um, I think this is probably my favorite issue of the Avengers forever so far. I still don't like that idea of the title being, you know, being reused and it feels like it needs to be more than 12 issues based on the story that they're trying to tell. I mean, th this is issue seven or over halfway done and the Avengers, the forever Avengers team hasn't even come together yet, you know, and like, I, I mean, you need at least three or four issues for the battle. So, uh, and next issue, it's, it's a version of Thor that we're getting. So I don't know. I don't know about the story structure, but especially for kind of a standalone, I really enjoyed it. What did you think? It's fine. Like I said, like I said, I'm not a fan of that series. I just, I don't know what's, I don't like it. I guess you can say, because like you said, I don't think the title fits them reusing it for this. Uh, they could have called it something else, you know, totally. But I just thought it was a good standalone issue because I like, you know, Steve, I like Captain America. It's my favorite Captain America. Like you said, there's different ones, but Steve is, you know, Captain America. And it's just fun. Like you said, you can see how um, no matter what Steve and what universe or wherever he is, he's still Steve. He's still got that core of, do, you know, you know, being the doing the doing the right thing. And I, that's what I liked about this issue. It's kind of fun. Yeah. And then the kind of the old man, Steve, was that was a fantastic reveal. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other the other Steve, you know, the one I'm talking about. That oh, was yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That's cool. So. Uh, all right. Up next for Jay. Uh, time. 
before time. Uh, been following. This is another series we've been following from the beginning. That's just been uh, really, really enjoyable. So in this issue, uh, Rory McConville is on his own. It used to be co-written by Declan Shalvey, but I don't know, maybe Declan got too busy. Um, so anyway, only Rory credited as writer. Ron Salas is the artist. Chris O'Halloran on colors and Hassan Atman Elhow on letters. Um, so last time we knew that uh, issue 13, this is issue 14. In issue 13, there were some bounty hunters that were hired um, and they're supposed to go and retrieve Nadia and what's the other guy's name? Uh, Tatsu. Tatsu. Yeah, that's right. Tatsuo. Um, yeah, but in order to go find them, because obviously they've been jumping around through time, they need to go steal this um, time machine tracking technology from this company in the past. And uh, they think they have it all wired. They think they have the heist all set up and they have all the intel they need. And then they go rounding the corner and one of the guys opens a door and gets his head blown off, like literally his whole head blown off. And it turns out it was an ambush. Um, These guys knew they were coming. So uh, that's where this issue picks up. What do you think? It was fun. Like I said, it's just a, a part two of uh, the two issue series of this, this little story, but it's fun because you knew uh, they were, they weren't ready really prepared for this. And then in this one, you kind of figure out, you know, they tell like, Hey, you dropped the ball on this, you messed up on this. And there's a lot of backstabbing and a lot of, uh, cause they're all, they're all hired guns. So of course, you know, they're, they want the money for themselves. So we see how that plays out. It's fun. Uh, it was a pretty much a good shoot 'em up uh, issue. I still miss not having the main characters in it, but this kind of makes sense what they do with the stories. Like the writer does a really good job. He'll take a time out to put this, but he'll put it back with a story where it kind of makes all, you know, it makes a total sense. Um, but like you said, it's just a, a heist that kind of goes wrong, but it, it all works out, I guess, in the end, I guess you can say, but uh, now you know, <laughs> not, not for everybody, it would have everybody, but, you know, but I mean, <laughs> so now we're still, you know, now we're set off to go back to the, you know, the, I guess the main storyline now, you know, that they got the, what they needed, I guess you can say, but uh, it's, it was a fun issue and it was just, uh, like I said, some backstabbing, a lot of backstabbing in this one. Yeah. What I really liked about it. So it's almost all action from cover to cover but the action ebbs and flows. Like sometimes it's big in your face action and sometimes the action is a little more subdued, but there's a lot of great moments. There's a lot of, you know, explosions and, you know, different people getting killed, but in interesting ways. So I really enjoyed that about it. Um, I don't know how I feel about the Ron Solace art. Like um, it's, it's very similar to the Joe Palmer art, except his line weights are a little thicker. Um, And the Joe Palmer art, it took me a little while to get used to it. Because uh, it was a little stylized, but then I, I came to sort of identify that that Joe Palmer style with this book. So I'm not sure um, if Joe Palmer is going to be back. Uh, not, I mean, maybe I should be reading the back matter here. Um, like, well, how come Declan's gone? How come Joe Palmer's gone? But you know, regardless of that, it's still a fantastic story, and I'm still really, really enjoying it. So, uh, all right, up next for me is Starhenge, book one, The Dragon and the Boar. This is written, illustrated, and lettered by Liam Sharp, uh, including the colors. And then uh, the, the font is by Dave Gibbons. Um, so this is Liam's passion project. He's dreamt for many years of, of doing an image series, and he's finally at a place in his career where he can make it happen. And I couldn't be happier for the guy. Um, but that being said, I wasn't going to give him a pass if the 
the book wasn't amazing. Uh, we know that Liam has sort of two different styles. He can do that hyper detailed, super heroic style uh, with pencils and inks. Um, but sort of halfway through his Green Lantern run, he he, uh, he kind of went back to his roots in a lot of ways because uh, he's a guy who really uh, enjoys painting, uh, oil painting and um, has some uh, heroes, you know, he's, he's from the UK. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of UK artists are his favorite uh, as well as American artists like Frazetta. Uh, and so it, this is kind of the marriage of those two styles. It's detailed at times, but uh, really it's, it's cosmic in feel with gorgeous colors and just really interesting character designs from the, the villains of the piece that are called the cast were sort of this hybrid uh, AI Android type um, beings. Uh, sometimes we're going black and white with the, the human characters that are in the past. And it's almost like three different timelines that he's jumping around through, but as sprawling as it feels, or maybe I shouldn't use the word sprawling. Let me use the word epic because it feels like a big epic story that spans centuries it never feels like it's hard to follow or like it's too big to, to understand. And part of the way Liam does that, part of the way he keeps it feeling small and intimate and easy to understand is a big portion of the book is narrated by one of the female main characters. And she speaks in such a way because uh, you know, she's pretty much set in present time, at least her, her part of the story. And so she speaks in, in such a way with slang and like you would expect a high schooler to speak. And so it gives us, it gives it this relatability and it grounds it in something very familiar. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that. And another thing that was fantastic, um, and I guess I should apologize because I, I try not to do spoilers here, but um, I guess I gave it away that it's narrated by her. Um, so sorry, everybody. Um, cause the, the point I'm making here is, is when you start reading it and it's being narrated, uh, you don't necessarily know that it's a, a female. Um, and so when you see it, that it is a female, that that's kind of interesting to me because I, I don't know, I guess maybe it's my own male bias that I kind of thought it was, a. I, I didn't, I didn't really stop to think about it one way or the other, to be honest with you of whether it was a male or female, I just kind of assumed it was a male or was just reading it that way. Um, and it, yeah, I was kind of a surprise that it was a female. So um, anyway, maybe it's not a spoiler. Maybe it is. If it is, I apologize. Um, but I, I thought it was fantastic and all, uh, you know, much similar to some other books that I read, like as soon as I finished reading it, I was like, okay, I'm ready for the next one. Like, let's go. Uh, I'm ready for like 10, 12, 40, 50 issues, whatever, however many issues Liam needs to tell the story. Cause it's got some fascinating concepts. And again, it, it spans so much, so much time. Um, and it's so interesting the way that he ties it all together. And uh, the character design is great. The, the tone is great. Like uh, I'm all in, I'm all in. This is so good. Um, it, it blew me away. Like I had high expectations because Liam's super talented, but it really exceeded any ex uh, expectations that I had. So I, I definitely recommend it. 
Uh, okay, last book that we're going to talk about in detail is Twig number three. Uh, and this is from writer Scotty Young. It's drawn by Kyle Stram. Colors are by Jean-Francois Bellou. And Nate Picos of Blambot handles the letters. So uh, what do you think? This is one of those books I look forward to. Um, it's as, like we talked about last time, too. It's just one of those books you can actually uh, read with your kid. You want to give into comics. It's just a cute story with, you know, it's got some uh, j- jokes because uh, his little psychic splat, you kind of get his little sarcasm, you know, and the kid be like, well, I don't get it. It's like, oh, I get it. He's just being a little smart. It's funny. But uh, we know that Twig uh, tried to start his little mission, but he kind of broke his stone. So he had to go get help to get that fixed. So now he's got a quest before the quest to get three pieces to fix his stone. So this is pretty much what the story is about is it is him trying to get those three pieces. And what I liked about the last issue was that one last piece is in a place that's so far away. I don't know how he's going to get it, but we're not there just yet. Um, he gets he kind of gets himself a little bit in trouble with this issue, but thanks to like his little uh, buddy Splat, he gets out of that one. And just the artwork, uh, the color, uh, it's just uh, I, I just love it a lot. It's just so cool. It just reminds me like I can see this being a cartoon or anime series without any problem whatsoever. You know, it just it's just a cool story. Um, the ending though is going to be, I guess, a test to see if, uh, they're going to, if Twig is going to do what he has to, or is he going to do the, the Twig thing and just find another way, you know, I, that's what I liked about that, you know, and I just like how the, the last pages just, you know, to continue and it's all white out. It's like, oh, okay. So that, that's kind of neat how I kind of did that, but definitely one of my favorite books. It was always my book of the week, but it's, it's second, but I still think it's going to be, uh, uh, the, the Todd one. I like that story a lot right now. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it also. Of course, Twig's going to do the Twig thing because he's Twig. Um, the only thing that I didn't like, and it's not even really that I didn't like it, uh, it's just the first issue and especially the second issue, it felt like such, especially the second issue, it felt like it was like 50 pages. We got so many it feel like such a huge chunk of story. This one is also 30 pages, but it, it read, this one was faster paced. So it read much, much quicker. Uh, it was over before I knew it. And, you know, th- again, I'm just like, Oh, I want more. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but I mean, really where this, where the book shines, well, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say like, it's only the art because Scotty Young's writing. He, he brings such an innocence and an emotion to twig like twig is easy to, to love and to root for. Um, but the, the art and the color, I mean, it's, it just suits this book so well. It's clearly, you know, an adventure uh, and, and one you can share with, you know, somebody of any age, you know, I could see grandparents sharing this with their grandkids um, and, and both equally loving it. So it's one of the best, books out on stands right now without question uh, it's so good uh anyway let me do a rundown on some other books you might want to be on the lookout for in addition to the two aftershock books we talked about almost american is out in trade finally uh, i encourage you if you're not familiar with it to go listen to my interview with ron mars um, the co-writer of the series and also uh, janosh newman who uh, kind of inspired the series with his own true life <laughs> experiences. So, uh, you, go, you can find that interview pretty easy um, and definitely check out the, the trade. It's definitely worth picking up from Ablaze, We have Promethea uh, 1313, number one, 
which is based on a sci-fi book series. It looks really, really interesting. Over at Boom, we have Once in Future, number 27 from Kieran Gellin at DC. And again, you can listen to these on our DC Spotlight. It's all filled with spoilers. And uh, much like last week, Rocky and I really disagreed on a lot of books and kind of got got, got a little heated. So um, just be, be aware. Uh, but the Chip Zdarsky era of Batman kicks off with Jorge Jimenez on art with Batman 125. Very Batman heavy week, as it almost always is uh, DC. We also had the end of the Batman 89 miniseries with issue number six. Batman Beyond Neo Year, number four. Uh, and again, I'm, uh, number four of six, I should say. And again, I'm really enjoying that. Uh, Colin Kelly and Jack- Jackson Langsley are doing a fantastic job. Batman Killing Time, number five of six from Tom King and David Marquez. We've got Black Adam, The Justice Society Files, Hawkman, number one. And that's sort of a prequel to the uh, the movie starring Dwayne Johnson. So if you're curious uh, about that universe, go check that out. Uh, Dark Crisis is up to issue number two of seven. Uh, DC versus Vampires is up to issue number seven of 12. Flashpoint Beyond, number three of six, which was excellent. My favorite DC book of the week. Close second was Joker, number 15 of 15, which I thought was uh, also really great. Monkey Prince, number six from Gene Luen Yang and Bernard Chang. Multiversity Teen Justice, number two of six. We had Nubia, Queen of the Amazons, number two of four. Poison Ivy, number two of six. Uh, And finally, Suicide Squad Blaze, number three of three, finished up that series. Uh, Over at Image, in addition to the books we talked about, we have Firepower, uh, number 22, by Robert Kirkman and Chris Somney. Philadelphia is up to number 23. Spawn is on issue 331. And Walking Dead Deluxe has its uh, 42nd issue hit comic shops this week. Over at Marvel, uh, in addition to the books we talked about, we have Black Panther number seven. We have Carnage number four. Uh, King Conan number six. Over in the X-Men corner of the universe, we have Legion of X number three. Sabretooth number five. Excellent number five. We also have... uh, Star Wars, The Halcyon Legacy, number four of five, Strange Academy, 18, and What If Miles Morales, number five of five. Uh, And I think that is it. I'm sure you have some others to add, Jay. What do you got? Oh, I got uh, AWA. They got a new uh, series called Absolution. Um, The writer is Peter Milligan, uh, art by Mike Diotto. Tato. Yes, and they got variant cover by Frank Chow. So it just looks like a good story. It's just a serial killer that's forced to do her. Uh, she wants to retire, but she can't because they got a bomb in her head. So she's got to go do these uh, more assassinations. So it just looks fun. I just and you know I just like the um, the writer. He sent some other stuff that I like. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick this up. Yeah, I didn't know anything about the series. Didn't know what it was about at all. Um, and I was watching my local comic shops live stream tonight. And they held up both covers. The main cover is a Blade Runner movie poster homage. So I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get that just based on the cover. And then they showed the Frank Cho cover. And I'm like, well, I guess I got to get both. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I didn't. I still hadn't had a chance to look up what it was about. But, yeah, that sounds interesting. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, fantastic. Uh, anything else? Uh, well, uh I just say I got a little heads up that I know like my two local shops here when they ordered their Batman, they were short on their A covers. 
So mm-hmm. just putting that out there. Uh, my shop was not sure okay. they have a ton, so it might be a regional thing. Uh, yeah. But I, I do have to say that um, it was really interesting to read Chip Zdarsky doing Batman. Like he's done Batman before he's done Batman the night, but that's, that's Bruce Wayne at the beginning of his career, traveling around the world, picking up the skills. Now, a lot of people say Daredevil is sort of the Marvel version of Batman, but this really, when I read the issue 125, I really, it kind of, to me, pointed out that there are big differences between Daredevil and Batman, like big philosophical differences. And not, I'm not talking about the characters themselves in terms of what Bruce Wayne believes and what Matt Murdock believes. I'm just talking about like the, what the character means to their universe, right? Batman's really the engine that drives the DC universe in a lot of ways. So uh, I say all that to say, I don't know if like, I was really looking forward to this, you know, Zdarsky, his stuff has been so great. I didn't like his first stuff I read that he did. I didn't really enjoy like as Howard, the duck, I couldn't stand. Um, It's just the humor just I didn't get it. Um, I didn't care that much for his Spider-Man life story either. Um, I just thought it was a little too, a little too much of a downer for being a Spider-Man story. But um, anyway, uh, he's won me over ever since then with, from Stillwater to public domain to his daredevil work, justice league last ride. Like he's done some fantastic stuff. So I was really looking forward to this and I don't know, maybe my expectations were just too high. So uh, it's not that it was bad. It's just, I, yeah, I think it's my own fault. I, I, I got my hopes up that it was, he was going to knock it out of the park. I'm, I'm definitely in. Like, it's interesting, the, the story part, but there's a tone of it that feels a little off to me. So we'll see. But anyway, that's a little preview for you, everybody, of what you'll hear in the DC Spotlight. If you want to go listen to the DC Spotlight that dropped yesterday. Um, let's do our books of the week. What what was your favorite? Oh, well, let's see. Uh, I like twig but i also like something's wrong with uh, patrick Todd. so i'd leave it at my book of the week and then twig would be my second i just like that series a lot yeah it was really really close for me also like i i was sure i was going to pick metal society after i read it because it was so good um but i purposely saved star hinge to read last after i read everything else um and it, it blew me, blew me away. So I got to go with Starhenge because um, I just think it's something that a lot of people are going to be talking about for a really long time. Yeah, the uh, artwork is beautiful. I get to look at it a little bit. It's like, man, that's yeah. some great art. Yeah, it is fantastic. So everybody, make sure you pick up Starhenge. I think there's um, seven different covers, including one by uh, Liam's daughter, which I thought was fantastic. So uh, anyway, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. We appreciate you listening as always. Don't forget to go check out our interviews from earlier this week. Have another interview coming later in the week uh, with Gene Luen Yang talking about Monkey Prince and uh, Shang-Chi, his, his Marvel book, as well as uh, anything else he wants to chat about. Uh, so look for that. And uh, again, we appreciate you listening. Sorry for the weird audio in the beginning with the power outage and all that. Hopefully we don't get a repeat of that anytime soon. So uh, appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially 
five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.